This is Marathon Training Academy, episode 392. This podcast is brought to you by Ice Barrel. Ice Barrel is a cold therapy training tool that makes it easy to bring ice baths into your routine. Just go to icebarrel.com forward slash MTA. Use the code MTA to get 125 bucks off. That's icebarrel.com forward slash MTA. Thanks to Flex Power for sponsoring this episode. Flex Power is a scent-free, natural pain relief lotion that helps you prepare for the day ahead or recover from the day you just had. Visit flexpower.com. Use the promo code MTA to get 20% off your order. Flexpower.com. Use the code MTA for 20% off. Check out our friend Carrie Tollefson's See Tolly Run podcast. You may have seen Carrie on TV at races like the New York City Marathon, Boston Marathon, or maybe you even watched her run back in the 2004 Olympics. Carrie, her husband, and their three children really love the running community, and her hope is to continue to get after it and share as many runner stories as she possibly can. So check out See Tolly Run. She drops a new episode every Thursday. You can head over to Carrie Tollefson's social media or go to seetollyrun.com. And like Carrie always says, make sure to get after it. Hello and welcome to the MTA podcast, where we inspire and empower you to run a marathon and change your life. I'm Trevor. And I'm Angie. In this episode, we speak with Dr. Tamana Singh, sports cardiologist at the Cleveland Clinic and active marathoner. You're going to hear about heart rate variability, how the coronavirus can affect the heart muscle and returning to fitness post-COVID, as well as the impact of alcohol on marathon training and much more. And don't forget, as an Academy member, you get access to all of our training plans designed by Coach Angie, plus courses, back podcast episodes, and more. Find out how to join. It's really easy when you visit MarathonTrainingAcademy.com. All right, so we are recording this 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Angie, you had a 16-mile run today, didn't you? I had a 20-mile run today, ah. and I managed to do 16 miles outside until I ran out of water. <laughs> and so then I came back home and finished the last four miles on the treadmill. It's a whole thing, but I cannot find my bladder closure thing for my hydration pack. So I'm borrowing yours, which is actually smaller, a smaller bladder than mine. It's only 1.5 liters. And I'm used to a two liter one. Thank you for letting me borrow it again, even though you didn't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I filled that sucker up, but it was not sufficient. Pretty important piece for a hydration pack. Yes. (laughs) Well, we'd like to give some shout outs to folks in the community doing awesome things before we jump into our conversation with Dr. Singh. So Angie, what do you have for us? Yeah, this was posted in the social distancing run group. It comes from Braxton and he says, my first mile comeback is done. I've graduated out of physical therapy and rehab after a broken neck in November of 2021. For almost one year, I've been watching this group continue to grow and been excited to see many doing hard things. I've been liking posts, commenting and keeping my spirits high. So thank you all for that. It's time to start all over again. Wow. I'm sure being able to run that first mile after all of the endless therapy and probably even questioning in the beginning whether he'd be able to get back to running was probably incredibly encouraging and exciting. And we're just so happy that Braxton has healed well 
and is going to be able to restart building his running base. Definitely. This comes from Dustin. Another kind of injury story. Maybe this is a theme here. (laughs) He says, six months ago, I broke my foot while out on a run. And this week, I climbed the Grand Teton. There was a short weather window. So we climbed the Western Summit, which is 13,285 feet and the second highest peak in Grand Teton National Park. After being in a walking boot until the end of April and still not being able to run, I will take it. The day before, we hiked seven miles to 5,000 feet of elevation where we camped overnight. We got up at 3.30 a.m. for our climb scramble to the summit of the enclosure since possible storms are closing in on us. We then made our way back down the mountain and got to our car at 4.30 p.m. We were exhausted, but I haven't stopped smiling since. I honestly wasn't sure I'd be able to do this after getting injured this year, but I took and am taking recovery just one day at a time. Rather than comparing myself to where I was, I am now mostly content with where I am now. So if anyone is recovering from an injury, know that you are not alone and will be back doing awesome things soon. Well, thank you for sharing that story. I think the mountain is like a metaphor for overcoming his injury and getting back to the level of fitness that he wants to be at and also like future fitness goals that he's trying to tackle. So yeah, what a great way to celebrate recovery from your your broken foot by climbing uh, the Grand Teton. Yeah, that's right. And I love his perspective about how not to compare yourself with your former self, just um, take it one day at a time and you'll be back there doing what you love. And we'd also like to say a big congrats to our coaching client, Marie Eve. She finished her first marathon in 3.52 at the Yellowknife Marathon, which is in the Northwest Territories in Canada. Sure, that was just an epic place to run. That's so exciting. She wrote in and said, training and consistency over the last three months definitely made a huge difference on marathon day. I very much enjoyed training with MTA coach Kristen. She prepared an excellent training program and was always so quick to respond to all of my questions. Her training program was very well adapted to my level and body. I didn't have any injuries or body pains during the program and felt great on marathon day. I learned a lot over the summer. This was definitely a journey. I've learned more about my running capabilities, my body, the various run types, etc. I've had a great experience with MTA and I'm so grateful that you and Coach Kristen supported me in this marathon journey. I'm definitely promoting and recommending MTA to other runners. (laughs) That's what we love to hear. Tell everyone you know. (laughs) (laughs) Now, you know, your success is our success. And that's one thing that we've enjoyed about hosting this podcast and about training runners like for the last 12 years is we get to hear all these awesome uh, race reports and success stories come in. That's right. Makes our heart glad. By the way, if all of this is making you eager to sign up for another marathon or half marathon, check out our friends at the Richmond Marathon in Virginia. I was there last year, did the half. This course is very scenic. It had all the nice fall colors, and it's relatively flat, including a nice downhill finish. We'll also be doing an MTA meetup like we did last year um, after the race, so let us know if you're going to be there. Price increases September 16th, so jump in now and beat the price increase. That's right. Like you mentioned, they've got the marathon, half marathon, and an 8K. And it's the 45th edition of this marathon. So they know what they're doing over in Richmond. They have great course support, awesome finisher swag, and is a top 25 Boston qualifier. So it's great for first timers and those who are looking to PR. So just go to richmondmarathon.org and beat that September 16th price increase. richmondmarathon.org. 
All right. Well, we are lucky to have Dr. Tamana Singh back on the podcast. We had her on the show uh, back in 2020, and she talked about heart health for runners. And that was one of the most popular episodes from that year because it's such an important topic. Angie, tell people who is Dr. Tamana Singh. Well, like you mentioned, she's a cardiologist, co-director of the Sports Cardiology Center, and assistant professor of medicine at the Cleveland Clinic College of Medicine. She and her husband make their home in Cleveland, where they are proud dog parents. And she's an MTA coaching client being trained by Coach Nicole. And we got to meet her in Hawaii a couple of years ago at a race. And she's just an amazingly warm person who eats, breathes, sleeps, running. So she loves it. Dr. Singh has been featured in the Runner's World Human Race Series. You'll hear us talk about that a bit on this episode. And she's also done a series on the effects of alcohol intake and training, which I found very interesting. And I've kind of been in touch with her a little bit about some post-COVID questions that I was having about my heart rate and things like that. So she is a great resource. And I know people are really going to enjoy all the topics that we cover. Well on my way, well on my way. All right, we're on the podcast now with Dr. Tamana Singh, joining us from from work, it looks like. <laughs> Thank you, guys. So good to be back. Yes, welcome to my humble abode, my cave and clinic uh, <laughs> here at a Cleveland Clinic in the office. <laughs> so we had you on the podcast almost exactly two years ago. I had to look it up. So just kind of tell us how has your running and training been going since we talked with you last? Yeah. So, oh my gosh, what are we in now? We're in 2022. So that was 2020. So I've, I've done a couple marathons. I'm still working with coach Nicole. I mean, I, I think I tell her she can never retire. She's absolutely (laughs) phenomenal. And, um, it was incredible to finally actually meet her in person, uh, at, uh, Boston in October of last year. Um, But I think since then I've, I've done a couple more. I did, uh, the Charlevoix marathon in June of 2021. Um, I ran CIM in December, um, so training, you know, apart from kind of the the occasional injuries here and there, has been going pretty well. I finally started to do heavier lifting. So um, I think now I've probably done about a year of heavier lifting, which has definitely helped um, not just kind of battling injuries, but being able to still train through an injury. And by that, I mean understanding how to strengthen the muscles around what seems to be aching. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're gearing up now. We've done a couple of shorter races, 5Ks, 10Ks, race the mile. Um, we've got Berlin Marathon coming up in just about, I think, six weeks. Yay. And then facing that with Marine Corps. And then um, we'll see what, what happens after that. So at the end of last year, I think it was in a 2021, you were featured in the Runner's World Human Race Series, which was super exciting to see. And they titled your episode, Help Yourself Help Others. Um, What was it like to be featured with Runner's World? You know, it really was an incredible experience. I actually, it was a complete uh, surprise. I'm the person who has a billion messages in my Gmail uh, and this was one that I nearly skipped. And when I read that they wanted to feature me, I was like, wow, you know, that's that's pretty exciting. And I think my biggest goal with that was not so much to talk about me, but to at least provide some ways that others could utilize what had worked for me to get out there and exercise, get out there and be active, particularly during a time when the pandemic was um, really prominent. You know, we were really staying in our homes. Um, for those of us who are working, we really weren't socializing much. 
Um, and exercise was a challenge psychosocially, I think, and even physically. So I just wanted to share what had worked for me um, and to acknowledge that, you know, even as a provider, I'm feeling a lot of similar feelings that other patients and providers and athletes might be feeling. Um, and, you know, just you know, sharing a few things that worked for me. So it was it was an incredible experience. Um, it was really interesting kind of being followed along, but they did an excellent job. So cool. So you're a plant based runner. So I'm just kind of wondering to know if how long you've been vegan and if your dietary choices were influenced by studying heart health or, you know, were you a plant based person before you got into cardiology? How did that all come about? Yeah, so I grew up probably early on in my life, you know, we ate whatever mom made. Uh, and then I think for me, I just didn't like the taste of meat. And so when I was nine, I said, you know what, I'm calling it quits. I'm, I'm a vegetarian now. And uh, my mom really had no issue with that. And through the years, I stayed a vegetarian for quite a bit of time. Um, it was really in my sports cardiology fellowship when I met a research coordinator who was plant-based. And he had given me a book for uh, Christmas for the holidays uh, called Eat and Run by Scott Jurek. Mm-hmm. And it was a game changer, a life changer. It was really enlightening to you know kind of see how And it wasn't really a different way of eating, but being a little more selective, kind of eating what nature provides. Um, And then even going into a bit more about the sustainability around plant-based eating was um, really kind of exciting and curious for me. And so I think that book really set me off to try to learn how to build a plant-based lifestyle. And I love cheese. Like I absolutely love cheese. Me too. But, <laughs> you know, being Indian and having, you know, family history of heart disease and diabetes and whatnot, you know, my cholesterol was not particularly ideal. And I thought, you know, I have nothing to lose. I've got everything to gain. So let's try it out. Uh, and within probably a couple of weeks, you know, I realized I didn't feel bloated. I felt more energetic. And I'm, you know, I'm an optimist, but I'm also a realist and um, a bit skeptical sometimes. So when I say that I really noticed some physical changes and even just changes in my sleep patterns, you know, it's stuck enough for me to want to stay plant-based. So that was probably in late 2017. So we're nearing on about five years of, of a plant-based lifestyle. Yeah. And so for anybody who didn't catch the title of the book, that was Eat and Run by Scott Jurek, a extremely successful ultra runner here in the US. He won the Western States 100 miler uh, like seven seven times in a row back in the day. <laughs> yeah. Super easy read. It's a fun read. And then he has like interspersed vegan recipes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. The first time I made vegan mac and cheese, Sean, now my husband, had tried to make it with me. And he's a really good sport. Um, he definitely was like, this does not chase, taste like real mac and cheese. But you do realize that it's not so much the food that you're missing, but more so a flavor profile. Mm-hmm. And I think now, you know, the plant-based world is entirely different from even what it was five years ago. There's a lot of things that you can mimic, you know, a lot of ways to be creative with food. Um, And I think it also just reminds us that, you know, eat in abundance with what Mother Nature provides and um, you really do feel good after you consume that way. Yeah, for sure. So thankfully, uh, COVID infection rates have dropped since the last time we had you on the show. Um, But there's still some concern, you know, in the running community and outside the running community that the coronavirus can infect and damage the heart muscle with heart inflammation. So, you know, I'm curious, since, you know, we have an expert here, what's the risk of myocarditis in the general population? And does that risk drop for runners? What have you seen? 
Yeah. So with respect to kind of myocarditis in the entire landscape, so not specifically speaking to COVID, the most common cause of myocarditis is a viral infection. Um, And it's it's pretty infrequent. I would say probably the numbers can range from maybe 10 to about 100 or so per 100,000 people. With respect to COVID, we have seen acute myocarditis. So that's predominantly viral inflammation of the heart muscle. Um, We have seen it, but it's very challenging to actually identify a true incidence just because we're still relying on very small databases, registries, and autopsy data. So in terms of athletes, we do have some data from our Big Ten registries, some registries involving some professional uh, athletes as well as collegiate athletes, and the actual incidence is really only about 0.2 to 0.3%. I think a lot of you know parent listeners out there who have kids who were trying to participate in maybe high school or collegiate athletics, you know, a lot of those individuals had to do rigorous cardiac screening when COVID first came about, and that was because we just had no idea whether myocarditis was going to be a true um, concern for us particularly because the main issue with myocarditis is that it can precipitate sudden cardiac arrest and death. Mm-hmm. So that's the big scary thing about it. Um, but what we found so far is that's really not the case. So our um, cardiac screening has actually really gone down by quite a bit. Well, that's good to know. I've heard from many runners who've had COVID and they haven't had the serious complications like the pneumonias and the lung issues and the heart issues, but they, they've still noticed a drop in their fitness even after recovery. And they've noticed like higher heart rates. And that was something that I dealt with probably at least three to six months after having what I considered a pretty bad bout of COVID. <laughs> I was miserable. But so is that normal? And what would be the signs and symptoms that something is not right with the cardiovascular system even after? or, you know, technically you should have recovered. Yeah. So with COVID, what we've noticed, and honestly, this can happen with any virus, but I think because we now have this post-COVID syndrome phenomenon where um, we have a more heightened um, kind of sense of what's going on within our body, whether it be related to heart rate, related to fatigue and whatnot, you know, anyone after they're they're sick, particularly for a decent amount of time is going to be deconditioned. And that deconditioning actually leads to some relative decrease in your blood volume and your heart has to compensate for that. And so what it does is it compensates by increasing your heart rate. So just with deconditioning alone, and studies have shown that can happen in as few as 20 hours of bed rest. Okay. So even if people are out for a couple of days, on the couch, in bed, feeling awful, that's enough to cause some compensatory response in your heart rate, so an elevation. So deconditioning, the most common, but we all think as athletes, okay, that's fine. You know, having a high heart rate for a couple of days is no biggie. I'll get back on the tread, get back outside. You know, I'll feel excellent. And and unfortunately with COVID, we've noticed that people are quite fatigued for much longer. I'll probably talk about the non-scaries. So the non-scaries, deconditioning, which can be a kind of a vicious cycle. If you don't feel well, you feel too tired to exercise, you may not go out and exercise. And therefore that vicious cycle of deconditioning and escalating heart rates continues. That compensatory elevation heart rate is a normal phenomenon. What's not normal is if you're sitting on the couch and all of a sudden your heart rate spikes, or if you're lying in bed and all of a sudden your heart rate goes up to 120, or you're walking from maybe the kitchen to the table about five feet away and your heart rate goes up to 160. Those are signs that there might be something awry with your autonomic nervous system, which basically regulates your entire body. And we're still looking to figure out what the exact mechanism is for this this phenomenon. But what we know from autonomic dysfunction in relation to other disease processes, so for instance, a common thing is postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome or POTS, what we know is that this dysregulation in your fight and flight, your sympathetic system, and your 
rest and digest your parasympathetic system is what can cause these weird elevations in heart rate, sometimes even very um, weird lowering of your heart rate or bradycardia, sometimes escalations in blood pressure in people who've never had blood pressure problems can contribute to insomnia, brain fog, um, neuropathy or tingling and numbness in your fingers and toes, um, gut dysmotility. So maybe bouts of constipation, bouts of diarrhea. So like I said, that, this autonomic nervous system causes so many multisystemic uh, syndromes and, and symptoms that can be coordinated and correlated to your cardiovascular system or to your neurological system or to your gastrointestinal system. It can be hard as providers to delineate, is this post-viral? Is this a post-viral inflammatory process or is this a primary, in my case, cardiac process? So for people who are concerned about fatigue, high heart rates, even weird symptoms and syndromes of chest pain. You know, we've had a lot of people who come in with atypical chest discomfort or chest pain uh, syndromes. You know, I would still say if you're unsure about what you're feeling, come and see your provider. You know, we want to rule out the big and scary. You know, do you have heart disease? Do you have innate high blood pressure? Do you have high cholesterol? Is there something here that's more common than post-COVID syndrome that we need to evaluate and diagnose? So for those COVID long haulers out there, how can exercise be used to help regulate the nervous system? You're talking about autonomic nervous system and, you know, kind of that dysregulation that's going on in throughout the entire body pretty much. Yeah. So the autonomic nervous system is tied into what we call heart rate variability or HRV. And heart rate variability is basically just the variation variation in time between each heartbeat. And so depending upon what's kind of driving your nervous system, the parasympathetic surge or the sympathetic surge, that's going to regulate your heart rate variability. And a high HRV can be um, a really good thing. And exercise actually does help to improve your heart rate variability by suppressing the sympathetic drive. If you have really high sympathetic surges, which is what we can see with post-COVID syndrome, um, any sort of kind of post-viral inflammatory state or any sort of stressful state, whether that be dehydration, poor sleep, uh, alcohol consumption, stress, anxiety, all of those things are going to drive up your sympathetic system and that's going to cause a reduction in your heart rate variability. So for those individuals who are unfortunately you know, suffering from post-COVID syndrome, starting to get into some sort of exercise program is going to retrain their autonomic nervous system, heighten that parasympathetic surge, suppress your sympathetics, and improve your heart rate variability ultimately regulating your nervous system in general. And what I typically tell my patient athletes who have post-COVID syndrome is if you can stick to and focus more so on consistency rather than duration and intensity, that consistency is what's going to drive your heart rate to kind of become level again for you to get through those bouts of fatigue and then start to you know get back to the exercise level that you had performed at previously. So Angie, how was it for you? Do you remember? How long did it take? Yeah. I mean, I definitely think that I noticed my heart rate and I, I don't consistently track my heart rate variability. It'd probably be a wise thing for me to do, <laughs> but just my resting heart rate was noticeably elevated per, for probably at least four or five months post COVID. And I kind of use that as a measure, whether I'm ready for a hard workout or an easy workout and things like that. So when you did a workout though, did it feel like that it required more effort than oh, before? Yeah, definitely. But how long did that persist, that feeling? I don't know. I mean, it's hard to, <laughs> I would say probably persisted about six months for me. And then okay. of course now we're in summer where everything feels harder. At least I'm not a very good hot weather runner. So now I'm like, uh, it feels like it's been a long time since I've really felt like that pop, you know, like yeah. 
this is an awesome run. Like I feel really, really good. <laughs> yeah. And everything that you're describing is a lot of what, you know, probably I want to say 10 to 30%, more so on the side of 30% of individuals mm. who have had COVID are experiencing. Post-COVID is a real phenomenon, quite common now. And I think particularly because now we're actually able to diagnose it, we're able to put a name to what people are feeling. Mm-hmm. There's more patients, more athletes coming out of the woodwork saying, hey, I'm here. My heart rate's really elevated and I don't know why. My chest is hurting randomly and I don't know why, or I'm trying to run through thick heat. Normally I can, and I don't know why. And everything you're describing, you're essentially, you were trying to exercise from a higher threshold to an even higher threshold versus mm-hmm. having that wide breadth of heart rate to work with when you're exercising. And that probably also accounts for some of that fatigue that you were feeling early on in your exercise. And also it's probably why you were even more heat intolerant than you typically are on a good day. Um, right. We see a lot of heat intolerance, even sometimes cold intolerance, more so the latter when we have some autonomic dysregulation as well. So it's just quite interesting. And I, I can't speak for why some people have very mild acute COVID, but very severe post-COVID syndrome and the other way around. We are living, interestingly, through a pandemic in a world where we are so um, used to having everything right at touch, mm. uh, ex- access to every answer within a millisecond. I think it's very challenging for patients and providers to understand that it's going to take years to understand the mechanism behind both the virus and and the Mm. post-COVID syndrome. Wow. So it's important to get, you know, once you have recovered from those acute symptoms of COVID, to get back into a regular exercise routine to help regulate uh, the heart rate variability um, or increase it, I should say. But then, you know, be patient with your body as well, that if you can't exercise at the higher level that you're used to, it's going to take time. Yeah. And you bring up two big points that I wanted to also clarify. When you're not feeling well, when you have, whether it be COVID or some sort of viral illness, if you're under the weather, I know sometimes we feel like exercising may make us feel better. You know, I think a lot of us kind of run by the rule of if it's kind of all in your nose or maybe a little bit in your throat and you otherwise feel like you have some level of energy, it's okay to perhaps push a little bit. I don't want to say push, but exercise, I should say. But if it's something that's a little deeper, you're feeling tired, you don't feel like you're 100%, really respect the virus because it's in those situations where that inflammation can you know, uncommonly, but can go over to your heart muscle, cause viral inflammation of the myocardium, which then precipitates, you know, the unfortunate kind of abnormal heart rhythms that can cause sudden cardiac arrest and death. That's why we typically say, if you are feeling unwell, use that as an opportunity to rest, recover, hydrate, get your electrolytes, rather than thinking you can push through it because Mm. if you can't, and if you get myocarditis, you're out of your sport for at least three months. Mm. Yeah, that that is a very good point. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this conversation thus far. Big thanks to our loyal sponsor, MetPro. You can speak with a metabolic expert from MetPro about your current habits, your lifestyle needs. You can get the actionable steps and plans to conquer that weight loss goal or that performance goal, whatever it is. They actually offer free 30-minute consultation calls with one of their coaches so you can see if it's a good fit for you. And get this, $500 off if you decide to uh, work with one of their coaches. That's right. People who have listened to the podcast for a while know that I had the privilege of working with a MetPro coach and I was able to lose 30 pounds of very stubborn weight that nothing I could do on my own was budging. And that helped me drop my marathon PR down to 319. So working with a MetPro coach was one of the best things that I've done for myself and for my running. 
And Dr. Singh, who we're talking to in this episode, has been a client of MetPro. So they know how to not only work with runners, but also those on plant-based diets. Yeah, so give them a call. Talk to the folks. They're super friendly. MetPro.co forward slash MTA. That's MetPro.co forward slash MTA. Thanks to Ice Barrel. Ice Barrel is a cold therapy training tool that makes it easy to incorporate ice baths into your routine. And right now you're thinking, Trevor, why would I want to do an ice bath? That sounds very miserable. (laughs) And I would agree. It does sound miserable until you get in it. That's right. (laughs) But I got to tell you, there's something surreal about the force of the cold water going through you. Cold water is like this force. Don't think of it in terms of cold water. Think of it in terms of energy. Now I see why people swear by ice baths and cold therapy. Yeah, you're right. Not only is ice therapy proven to help you with better recovery and performance, it also improves your mood, brain function. It can help alleviate depression and anxiety. It helps activate the nervous system in a good way. (laughs) It can help with inflammation and pain management and improve your heart rate variability. So whenever Angie's in a bad mood, I just say, hey, go stick your head in the ice barrel. (laughs) (laughs) Not really. He doesn't. He's he's a wise man. It's made of 100% recycled material and made right here in the USA. Check them out at icebarrel.com forward slash MTA. You'll get 125 bucks off if you use our code MTA. They offer a 30-day money-back guarantee and 100% satisfaction. That's icebarrel.com slash MTA. Use the code MTA for 125 bucks off. Let's go back to something Angie said about resting heart rate. So Angie, you said you look at your resting heart rate as a way to gauge whether or not you're ready for a hard workout, Mm -hmm. right? So for people who are not familiar with that concept, let's just touch on that for a second. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yes. So I think what Angie is alluding to is, you know, it does touch a little bit on heart rate variability. And one important thing to remember is all of our heart rate variabilities, our individual heart rate variabilities are going to be different. You know, it's all about the trends and you can use the trends in HRV to help you gauge how ready you are for a workout. Your heart rate is affected by so many factors, which, and this could be a topic for another day, is why it can be really difficult to train by heart rate. Your heart rate's affected by whether you are anxious and stressed, how well you slept, how hydrated you are, did you get enough electrolytes, um, was your workout the day prior really hard or really easy? So any stressor, whether it be physical or mental, can cause your heart rate to go up and down. So I think when Angie is saying my heart rate sometimes up on certain days and you know on those days I don't push it I think she's recognizing that there's some sort of stressor whether it be physical emotional that is going to impact her ability to push herself to a level that she wants to achieve that day so she instead is choosing to recover whether it be rest the mind rest the body or a combination of the two to bring that heart rate down to her baseline her healthy yeah exactly (laughs) is that something that you guys recommend though for people to check their resting heart rate um, regularly so, you know, I say that, like I said, you have to recognize that heart rate's going to be impacted by many things, but look at the trends. Yeah. Many of okay. us have Garmin's or smartwatches or, you know, whatnot. And these devices can be really helpful for you to see, okay, over the last month or even over the last year, my heart rate's usually in the 40s. Mm-hmm. It's good for you to know because sometimes you might see a doc who's not a sports cardiologist who doesn't take care of athletes and they're going to freak you out and say, oh my gosh, your heart rate is so low. You need to see a cardiologist. But you can then feel empowered to say, nope, Dr. So-and-so, my heart rate is normally in the 40s because I eat right, I exercise, I get good sleep. Mm -hmm. So in that regard, I think it's important to know. On the flip side, if you notice that your heart rate is trending upwards or if you have bouts of really high heart rates, 
really low heart rates and whatnot, that can be really helpful for a cardiologist like myself to notice whether or not you're having a normal rhythm or maybe an abnormal rhythm Mm. and then correlating that to symptoms and whatnot. So I, I honestly say like a lot of us are probably type A, maybe that's a little bit of a generalization. A lot of us might like data and numbers. And if that's you, pay attention to trends. Don't get too fixated on an individual number because that number is meaningless without context. Hmm. We were looking at Angie's heart rate data and then we figured out it just always increased when she was talking to me. <laughs> you know, now that I'm married, <laughs> yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> I think that's like a, a general thing. Married women, their heart rate increases. <laughs> You only got married, what, a couple of years ago, right? Was it? Like last year. No, I got married, oh my gosh, about seven, eight. When did I get married? Oh, December 2nd of okay. last year. It was a palindrome date, 12 to 2021. Oh, nice. <laughs> cool. We laugh about it because people are like, where'd you go for your honeymoon? I'm like, oh, we went on a running moon because then I had CIM <laughs> a couple of days later. So we literally got married and flew oh, to Sacramento right. the next day and then I ran CIM. So that's it was great right. for me. Yeah. It's good in the wedding, you know. <laughs> Your, your, your husband's name is Adam? Sean. Sean. Okay. <laughs> Did he? I've met him. I've met him once. He's a cool guy. I remember, uh, yeah, meeting Sean at the brewery at uh, the Kona Brewing. We'll talk, yeah. We're going to talk about alcohol here on this. Yes, this is going to be a great segue. This interview here. too. Great segue. But, great segue. So yeah, we'll just segue into that question. Um, you've also been contributing to Runner's World, talking about alcohol and athletic performance. So what does alcohol exactly do to the body and how, do, how does it affect performance? And I'm going to go ahead and take my headphones off while you talk about this. No, you're not. <laughs> when I knew we were going to talk about this, I thought, oh, I don't know if Trevor's going to like everything that I have to say. But No, I need to hear it. Go ahead. Lay it on me. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a challenging conversation to have because alcohol is so ingrained in many different cultures. So mm-hmm. I try to take that in mind when I you know, try to provide kind of my insight. And I think if we break it down, alcohol is a toxin, mm-hmm. right? So you know, a lot of us will hear and, and read and say you know, alcohol has the antioxidant benefits and whatnot, but you can truly eat foods that provide those same antioxidant benefits that are not a toxin. You know, alcohol impacts really every organ in your body. It can cause heart attacks and strokes. It can impact your heart rhythms. It can cause atrial fibrillation outside of just the cardiovascular vascular world, it can cause cancer. Um, it can cause breast cancer, colon cancer, oropharyngeal cancer, esophageal cancer, liver cancer, cirrhosis. And the interesting thing- That's with- all? <laughs> no, she's still going. <laughs> the interesting thing though, I think the salient point is it's not even necessarily how much you're drinking when it comes to things like breast and colon cancer. You could drink a glass a day or five to six glasses a day, but that cancer risk is still there. Mm. Um, so- as a physician, you know, who tries to, you know, I'm, I'm understanding of kind of people's social norms and whatnot, but, you know, I really don't see a place for alcohol um, when you're really looking at maintaining optimal health, not just from a cardiovascular standpoint, but when you're maintaining health and you want to really optimize performance. And we were just talking about heart rate variability. So is it true that heart rate variability numbers drop after consuming alcohol the night before? Yeah, no, it's very true. So alcohol, like I mentioned, it is a 
dehydrating substance. You know, it causes you to diurese a little bit. So that dehydration in itself is going to increase your heart rate um, over that, you know, period of time, whether it be within two hours up to 24 hours. But it also, even though it is a sedative, you know, it also does increase your sympathetic activity. And we kind of discussed already that that increase in sympathetics is what drives your heart rate variability down. And an HRV that goes down is not a good HRV. Hmm. So, and I've also read in the whole area of sports performance that, you know, consuming alcohol, you touched on, it affects your heart rate, it hinders sleep, it can lower testosterone for the men out there. And actually women, testosterone is, plays a role. It can impair your balance and coordination, decrease muscular strength, impact your bone health, which can increase the risk of sports related injuries. For the, me, the big one, and the reason that I have severely cut back on alcohol intake is that it just totally tanks my sleep. And like sleep is so important to me. <laughs> so yeah. can you talk about why alcohol is so detrimental to getting good rest and recovery? Yeah. So what alcohol does is like I said, you know, people will say, oh, I pass out completely after I drink a lot, right? It's a sedative. It's not a sleep agent. And yes, you might fall asleep quickly, but it disrupts your REM sleep. And that REM sleep is your restorative sleep, the rapid mm -hmm. eye movement sleep. You need that to restore your brain health, your physical health, your mental health. Um, so you're just not getting at sleep. And as an athlete, Angie, you need high quality restorative sleep. So if you're drinking a lot before and not even drinking a lot, but alcohol in any capacity is going to have some impact on, on sleep. And it's also important to remember sleep is that time when you get your muscular gains, when your muscles are growing, they're getting stronger. And alcohol does impact our growth hormone, which is released at night. So not only are you not getting enough restorative sleep, you're lacking that REM sleep, but you're also losing any sort of muscle gains that you were hoping, perhaps with a strength workout earlier that day. And isn't your body a prioritized burning off alcohol before it will even burn off glucose or, mm -hmm. you know, fat if you're trying to decrease body fat? Exactly. I mean, your liver is working to get rid of toxins in your body and alcohol is a toxin. So it's going to prioritize metabolizing alcohol before it even prioritizes metabolizing the sugars that you need for performance. Mm. Are you at the point now where you just cut out alcohol totally or do you kind of just like maybe for special occasions imbibe? Yeah. So for me personally, I don't drink. Um, you know, I realized, you know, once I stopped drinking that um, it was maybe even a half a glass of wine intermittently. But that was enough for me to say, one, is this really doing anything for me? No. Two, you know, how do I feel when I have a half a glass of wine? Like, like what does it add to me? And there was really no value. I agree. You know, there is some kind of social stigma to, to having alcohol. And for some people, it takes a while to get used to not having something in their hand um, or not ordering something. But you'll realize quickly on that you're a very cheap date uh, <laughs> and that you're sleeping better than, than your partner or your counterpart. Uh, and you feel good, you know. And I also noticed that my my runs and my workouts were just much better. Mm. So it, it worked really well for, for me all around. And as a provider, as a sports cardiologist, I think I really try to recommend things that I'm either doing or that I've tried. So I didn't want to be a hypocrite. I didn't want to be someone who said, don't drink alcohol if I wasn't doing something like that myself. Do you think, I mean, I feel like there is a huge alcohol-related um, culture when it comes to the running community, endurance sports in general. And, you know, this is only, I really started noticing it when I started cutting back. I'm like, wow, you know, everywhere, alcohol, alcohol. I know, um, isn't it great? <laughs> Do you think runners are aware of how alcohol may be affecting their health and performance um, yes. or do they not care? I mean, you know, I'm just kind of like trying to like work through this in my own mind, I guess. Hey, let me, let me answer first. 
then you guys could, you know, speak some wisdom. <laughs> From my experience, I, I know about all the, the detriments and the and setbacks and how it affects sleep. And I felt it myself. But um, it is pretty fun to have that post-race beer. I tell you what, beer never tastes so good until you finish the marathon and have one. And, you know, it's funny that you say that because I literally just ran a 10K where at the finish line, you get a beer and a brat. Mm-hmm. And so you're like two things you don't want. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I was like, I don't, I, I can't eat either, drink either. Like, here you go. Whoever wants these. But um, no, I mean, it is ingrained in our running community, right? Because it is kind of a celebratory mark of finishing a race. I mean, how often do you see at post-race parties, there's a beer? How often at the end of marathons do you see people getting shots or people getting beers to drink as they're, as they're crossing the finish line? So it ends up just coming down to, kind of your value system, right? And everybody's value system is different. There's no right, there's no wrong, there's no good, there's no bad, right? For you, Trevor, having that post-race beer is a great experience, right? You enjoy it. And the pre-race beer. Yeah, and the pre-race beer, right? (laughs) I'm just kidding. And, And that's part of your experience and your value system, right? You know, for others, for me, for instance, it's just not something that I that I ever really needed or wanted. And, and I like how I feel not drinking. So there's no judgment here. It really is what is your goal, right? And I think for a lot of athletes, I think athletes who are really focused on performance, they probably, I would hope they understand kind of the impact that alcohol can have on performance, whether it be exercise, sleep and the whole shebang. Um, But I do think it's important to have a lot of these conversations because, you know, when you do have individuals who say, oh, I really don't drink a lot, um, but I really want to maximize my performance, I want to maximize my health. Yeah, you know, I have five or six drinks over the weekend. You know, that's when you can at least have an honest conversation of, I recognize that you have really, really healthy uh, choices and you follow a very healthy lifestyle. This is what we can do to make things even better to really work towards your goals of, you know, being excellent at your activity and gaining some health benefits along the way. So I remember working with coach Natalie at MetPro and I was such a, a terrible client. Angie, <laughs> Angie was the model client, still is. And Tamana. Na- Natalie and I chat a lot. She's, yes. she's a wonderful human. I love she Natalie. Does. She's yes. great. <laughs> So I would go out with the guys and have some beer and then just totally destroy my, my numbers, you know, cause you enter in the app, like what you eat and drink. And she's like, if you got to have a drink, just have some like whiskey or something that, that is not beer. Cause beer is like liquid bread. And <laughs> so that might be like, if people want to make baby steps, drink some whiskey and, you know, they still want the social aspect, but they know that beer kind of destroys them. And you mentioned social, right? So I always joke, I don't want to say joke, but I try to say it in jest, but sincerely, if you need something in your hand post-race, get some electrolytes, get some water. Or if you are choosing to have a post-race beer or a couple of beers, make sure that you hydrate in conjunction with your alcohol consumption. Because the last thing you want to do is completely dehydrate yourself when you've already sweat bullets, you've lost so much salt, you're super dehydrated, whether it be a mile, a 5K or a marathon. So be understanding and smart about how you are trying to modify your consumption post-race. You mentioned that you're running the Berlin Marathon uh, coming up. I remember when we did the Berlin Marathon in 2016, you know, we're in Germany, great beer, and we get to the finish line and they're serving Erdinger alcohol-free beer. So, you know, it tasted really great. They'd make really good alcohol-free beer over there. But I posted a photo on Instagram and people were like, what? Alcohol-free in Germany? Like, well, the, they look at it as a recovery drink, like a celebratory recovery drink. And then later at dinner, they'll go have a real beer. But for 
post-race consumption to have the, you know, the special feeling of having a beer in your hand, alcohol free is what they were serving. Yeah. yeah. There's other companies out there. I want to say it's like athletic. Yeah. It, athletic, athletic brewing. I think athletic yeah, brewing, athletic brewing yes. that kind of do it for you, right? You have mm-hmm. your social quote unquote beer, you got your, you know, whatever you need in your hand, but you're at least not, you know, getting those harmful aspects of alcohol consumption, particularly when you're, when you're racing or mm-hmm. when you're exercising and whatnot. I think that's a great idea. I actually saw that on the website the other day because I oh. wanted to see what their fueling um, options were. And I was like, Oh, and I had to Google it. Cause I, I wanted to make sure it was alcohol free before I grabbed it. Yeah. Um, but it, it says it has like B vitamins in it and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And it's truly a recovery drink. So how did you feel after you had that? Did you feel, did you feel recovered Trevor? Yeah, it was a pretty hot day. I was destroyed. Um, I remember the post race party area, I think is right in front of the Reichstag, the German parliament on a big grassy section. So got my Erdinger alcohol free beer, sat in the grass and waited for Angie because I, I smoked her probably in the marathon. No, not wow. really. She's probably back at the hotel room waiting for me. But yeah, it was. <laughs> I don't remember the specific. Have you run Berlin before? <laughs> no, I haven't. It was oh, you're going to love it. Totally like a fluke. I missed it. So I, I ended up entering the lottery after CIM. I was like, doop, 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 let me just enter like London and Berlin because I'll never get it, you know, whatever. And I totally missed the email. And then on social media, I saw people were getting their lottery um, results. And I thought, well, my credit card wasn't charged. So obviously I didn't get it. Like, what are the chances? So then a couple of days later, I thought, let me just Google my Gmail. And then I saw the Berlin Marathon email. And I was like, I mean, profanity first. I was in my office and I remember coming out of my office, looking at my secretary. I was like, holy bleep. We had to bleep that part, folks. Holy bleep, holy bleep, holy bleep. It was a lot of bleeping. Um, I think I still can't believe it, but now I kind of believe it. So yeah, it was just the lottery. We we got in on the first try, didn't we? I believe we did, which I, we were shocked as well because yeah. lotteries typically don't like us either. Yeah. And that was our first international race. Yeah. So yeah, mine too. So I'm very excited. Well, you're going to love it. <laughs> yeah. Quick break to thank our new sponsor, Flex Power, for sponsoring this episode. They are a wellness company dedicated to creating natural products to help people feel good every day. And their hero product is something called Warm. It's the first ever scent-free pain relief lotion. It's been used by pro athletes for over 20 years. And they also have something called Soothe, which is an Arnica-powered lotion, providing a natural relief from muscle and joint pain, as well as those everyday aches and pains that we all have. What's cool is that Flex Power Soothe which is their line of creams and bath salts are all natural and they feature classic ingredients like Arnica, CBD, and eucalyptus blended in new ways to maximize the effect. It's a California-based company founded by athletes and recommended by trainers, runners, and for anyone looking to embrace a healthier, more active, engaged life, check them out at flexpower.com. Use the code MTA to get 20% off your order. That's flexpower.com. Use the code MTA for 20% off. So we're talking about, you know, gearing up for a marathon and the runner who does consume alcohol and they're gearing up for a goal race and, you know, they're really spending a lot on trying to improve their performance. When is an ideal time to cut out drinking to maximize their performance? Yeah, I mean, there's no real cutoff. You know, I think look at your training cycle. So, you know, if you're really at the beginning of the training cycle, 
and I'm going to kind of take strength work out of this. You know, that may be a period where if you want to be a little more flexible about your alcohol consumption, you can probably tolerate that. But as you're hitting those higher mileage weeks, you're really peaking, you're getting to those 16, 18, 20s. Those are the times where you really want to focus on performance, um, focus on rest, focus on recovery, because any alcohol consumption then is going to minimize any gains that you're trying to make. And it's also going to probably contribute to some increase in injury risk, because again, you're not getting that adequate rest. You're not getting that good recovery. You're probably exercising at higher heart rates and thereby limiting your ability to maybe do some speed work that day. And, you know, I was just thinking about this. It's, it's really interesting, right? We put so much time and effort into creating an exact training plan and what we're going to wear and what fuel we're going to buy and all of that. You know, if you really don't drink during a training cycle, imagine how much money you're saving that you can put towards like a new smartwatch or put towards some very expensive gels, right? So, you know, just like kind of another way to, to think about it. Yeah, I like that. Plus, then if you do choose to imbibe after the race, it's going to be like, whoa, so much more of a reward because yeah. you haven't had it for a, a good while. Yeah. And it's also for, I think, for some people who might be shy among their friends. So honestly, mm-hmm. like, you know, your support team is going to support you no matter what you decide, but it might be just kind of a nice way for you and your friends to say, you know what, we're not going to drink during this training cycle. We're going to pop the money. We're going to put it towards doing like a big spa day or something at the end of the race. You can kind of see this in so many different ways and then hopefully feel some of those mental and physical gains after. We have some friends and they own a brewery. And so sometimes we're over at their house and I've become known as the person who doesn't drink and who goes to bed at 8.30 at night. So <laughs> they're like, this is Angie. She doesn't She's drink. not the life of the party, as you can she imagine. She goes to bed at 8.30. <laughs> I mean, you're probably the most well-rested. Right? This one there. <laughs> oh, so I'm like, well, okay, if that's what I'm known as, I guess, you know, there could be worse things. <laughs> um, that's great. So a few years ago when I started evaluating my alcohol intake, I realized that for me, I was using it to overcome a lot of social anxiety. So it wasn't like necessarily I was a person, you know, who just enjoyed relaxing at home with a drink. It was like, I used it to kind of help lubricate social situations because I just felt a lot of social anxiety. And kind of doing some inner work, I realized like, wow, if you're having to drink to be able to be around people or feel like you can enjoy yourself, then, you know, something is not right. And so that's when I really started Um, cutting back a lot and thinking like, why am I having this drink? Um, So what are some questions that runners can ask themselves to evaluate their drinking? So usually as providers, you know, there's four common questions that we ask, you know, we're taught these quote unquote cage questions. And we basically, you know, ask our patients, and these are questions you can ask yourself too. Do you ever feel the need to cut down? Are the people around you ever annoyed by how much you're drinking? Um, Do you ever feel guilty about drinking? And do you ever really need an eye opener, something in the morning to kind of pick you up or get through a hangover? You know, you mentioned a very, um, very important aspect, Angie, alcohol being a part of our social culture is used to mask a lot of psychosocial issues. And if you can recognize that, you've really won 50% of the battle. And it's important then to really, you know, ask yourself, what's deeper? What's going on inside me that that I'm either trying not to address um, or that I'm having trouble with? Mm-hmm. And that's an opportunity for you to find an expert mental health provider or a friend or a family member to talk through some of those issues um, and really kind of nip it in the bud before it becomes something that's, that's um, 
a bigger problem. But, you know, just kind of do some self-checks. I think, you know, we runners are really good at asking ourselves the right questions. Do we sleep enough? Do we get enough calories and carbohydrates? Are we hydrated? You know, is our training plan fine? Is our water synced with our route for the day? Ask yourself the question if you feel that, you know, maybe alcohol consumption is a little on the higher end or something that that doesn't jive with you. Just ask yourself, did I really want a beer today? Did I want the five glasses of wine? You know, was there something about that experience that just didn't feel right? Just do a self check. Mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't have to be much more than that. Yeah. The really cool thing about running and training for marathons is it's such a keystone habit. You want to get better at running and you want to achieve these goals. So, so they start cutting out smoking, alcohol consumption, fast food, <laughs> and the running kind of becomes a catalyst for other ways life can change. And this, that's a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know, when you're starting to feel good, you're going to ask yourself, what is it that I'm doing that's making me feel better and better, right? And mm -hmm. exercise is a very simple tool to do that, you know, for people who are using it, not just for kind of the psychological benefit, but also for some physical aspect, if you're looking to change their body composition, that's a direct visualization, right? So you're seeing, you're reaping the benefit and the reward of what you put in, that work you put in. Very easy to understand. So once you see that positivity, you're going to then want to translate that, right? Just like you said, mm -hmm. Joe, to other aspects. Well, okay. I'm losing weight or I'm getting fitter. I'm running better. What else can I do? I can eat better. I can eat more. What else can I do? Maybe not smoking a cigarette after every run. Probably not a good idea, right? So, you know, the healthier you feel, the healthier you'll want to be. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, this is not a discussion about like, you know, what can Dr. Singh tell you not to do, right? <laughs> it's not my job to be a parent. It's not my job to, um, you know, be someone who reprimands. It's more my responsibility, I think, to just provide some insight with what you can do, little tweaks that you can make to just be healthier and perhaps perform better. Because mm -hmm. oftentimes those two things are going to be directly linked. It's a virtuous circle. You feel good and then you want to do more things that make you feel good. <laughs> yeah. But getting that initial motivation or inspiration to just do it, you know, sign up for 5k, you might be miserable, you might finish last, but just getting that initial push is what what and it you takes. Both talk about this on your podcast all the time, particularly when you talk about the books you've read, um, you know, things relating to mindset, things relating to mental strength. You need mental strength to get off the couch, right? You require mental strength to change up your diet. So finding that inner motivation can be a challenge. And if you're someone who notices that that lack of motivation is carried through not just lifestyle, but other aspects of, you know, what you do, your profession, your social relationships, reach out for help. You know, there's so many people around you, hopefully family and friends or experts that can help you find a way to get that motivation and that drive back. Sometimes we need a little help, whether that be medication, whether that not be medication, but, you know, it really does as you guys always tell us, it really does start with your mindset. And mm -hmm. once you can flip that mindset to a point where you want to be healthy, you want to make changes that are going to make you feel better, um, the process after that is much easier. Yeah. So one final question. Last time we talked to you, you were getting up like at five in the morning or something crazy like that to, <laughs> to get your runs in. Are you still doing that in your, in your training now for Berlin and the other races? Yeah, I am. There's, you know, I'm a morning runner. Like if you ask me to try to run and I've tried sometimes to do longer runs in the afternoon, they're just awful. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's, it's probably all up in, in my brain, but they're awful. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I just try to get it all done in the morning. 
Um, I'm probably a little later to, to meetings than I usually am because the miles add up and sometimes <laughs> running is more of a priority than, than that particular meeting. And that's okay, right? Yeah. You know, everything, uh, you got to do everything with a little bit of grace. Mm-hmm. And you've got a sweet workout set up in your, your workout room, your treadmill. I think you've got a rower now. You've got your yeah. weights in there, yoga mat. It's oh, great. You're catching up to all the stuff Angie has. Slowly but surely. I mean, we moved into a townhome just a couple of months ago, so we don't have like the ability to have such an expansive gym. Mm -hmm. I've tried to just jam pack every corner with with something or the other. Well, thank you so much for speaking with us, Dr. Singh. And if folks want to find you on Instagram or somewhere else, where can we send them? Sure. So my uh, Instagram handle is tsrunmd. Uh, and then I'm here at the Cleveland Clinic and one of the co-directors for our sports cardiology center. So I'm always available if, if you guys have any questions um, or want to come out here. My goal is to really just, you know, help you guys be, you know, the best runners and, and the best from a cardiovascular health perspective. So um, if I can do anything to, to be a part of your journey, let me know. Awesome. Big thanks to Dr. Tamana Singh for speaking with us again on the MTA podcast. And of course, we'll have links to the articles that we mentioned uh, that Tamana contributed to Runner's World. We'll have links over on our website with the show notes to this episode. Just want to say thanks again to MetPro for sponsoring the podcast. These guys are metabolic experts that will help you dial in your nutrition. Give them a call. They're really friendly. MetPro.co forward slash MTA for a free consultation call, see if it's a good fit for you. And also one piece of just heavy news that crossed everyone's feed in the last couple days. You've probably seen the news that a runner, um, a lady by the name of Eliza Fletcher, was out running early in the morning in Memphis, Tennessee, and was abducted and murdered. Such a sad and tragic story. There is a virtual run in her honor organized over at runsignup.com. It's called Finish Eliza's Run. It's free, and there's probably other virtual runs in her honor, too. Just wanted to bring that to your awareness. Again, that's Finish Eliza's Run over on runsignup.com. That brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you for being a listener. If we can help you in any way, please reach out. We have a contact form on our website, and we'd love to hear from you. You can find that at marathontrainingacademy.com. And of course, we're on Instagram and Facebook at Marathon Academy. It's so great to be on this running journey with you. Until next time, please stay safe out there, train smart, and remember, you have what it takes to run a marathon and change your life. Right on my way.